he's got it in him it's got to come out it's just got to come out well praise the lord good to be with you tonight we've got a song that says i've read the back of the book and we win <laughs> we might sing that before we leave here i've read the back of the book john said i saw heaven open behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and the armies which were in heaven that's us amen <laughs> and the armies which were in heaven uh, now i done lost my place but anyway they're coming back with him it's in Revelation chapter 19, you can find that. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm glad for that thought tonight. We're on the winning side. And uh, the devil can do a lot of damage, but my friend, he cannot take away your salvation. He can't do that. Now, I didn't know that when I first got saved. I didn't. I, I kind of believed you could, you could somehow get far enough away from God that you'd lose your salvation. But, uh, you know, I found out that Thank God Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I found out I'm sealed by the Holy Ghost unto the day of redemption. I found out I'm in his hand. No man can pluck you, pluck you out of the Father's hand. I found out I've got everlasting life. And all these things, uh, you know, that if, you're, if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. But, you know, I, I always say you can lose a lot. You can be a child of God and you can lose your joy. And you can lose your family. Some have done that, got away from God and lost their marriage, lost their family. You can lose your influence. Remember that story about Lot? The angels came and said, we're going to destroy this place. And fire's coming down and, and Sodom will be destroyed. You better go out and warn your family. And Lot went out to warn his family and not, they, they laughed at him. Nobody believed him. He had no influence at all on his own family. That's not even my message tonight, but that, what a thought to come to a place where you don't have any influence. May God help us. You know, one way to have influence on a whole lot of people is be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, a while ago, the preacher said something that is 100% absolutely true. He said the most important question that you will ever answer is, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Uh, that's the most important question you will ever answer. Do you know the Lord? But if you can say, yes, I do, then what is the next most important question? <laughs> I don't know if this is the most important, but it just might be, are you filled tonight with the Holy Spirit of God? If we're not filled with the Spirit, then there's nobody to blame but us because He lives inside us all we have to do is yield to Him and get out of the way and surrender to the will of God and the Spirit of God will take over and He, th this wonderful fruit we've been preaching about will flow out of our lives. And so tonight I'm going to continue preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. Last night Brother Billy had the fruit of the Spirit on his tie and uh, <laughs> I mean there it was written out there, the fruit of the Spirit. And tonight he's got, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. So I almost changed my message because of his tie. His tie got it right last night, but I won't do that. Uh, 
I want, I want you to turn to a book in the Bible that, to my knowledge, I've never preached out of this book. And that is the book of Habakkuk. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. But if you can go back into the Old Testament, probably the best thing to do is find Matthew and go backward. Go back to Malachi. <laughs> go back to Zechariah. Go back to Haggai. And, in that, and Zephaniah. And just go backward about five books and you'll find the book of Habakkuk. Some people might say Habakkuk. <laughs> But uh, I think it's Habakkuk, and it sounds too much like tobacco, doesn't it? But anyway, Habakkuk, you know, this man, he was a great prophet, and he's one of the overlooked prophets. You know, we talk about the major prophets and the minor prophets. And I'm not sure just exactly who coined that phrase, but it's not really right. These men are not minor. <laughs> These are mighty men of God. They're, they're, their books are shorter, maybe, than Isaiah and Jeremiah, but, but they are mighty men of God. They had a message for the time. They were, they were spirit-filled men. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. And uh, God, they had a message from God. And so Habakkuk did. You know, it's in the book of Habakkuk that you find that, uh, that greatest verse, I think, in the Bible when it comes to in being involved in alcohol you know, a, a child of God ought not have anything to do with alcohol. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. We, ought not, we ought not sell it. We ought not be involved in it. And uh, I just believe that with all my heart. And, you know, here is a, a great verse. This is not where I'm preaching tonight, but chapter 2 and verse 15. It's, it says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him. And makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. And you know, my friend, all through the Bible, you will find a connection between alcohol and nakedness. I could preach a sermon on that. I mean, alcohol, it, it, it takes away some of your, uh, oh, some of your character, some of your desire to be decent. And alcohol warps your mind. It causes you to think on a different wavelength. And it causes you to do things you would not otherwise do. And you'll find many times that connection there with, uh, with alcohol and nakedness. But I've used that verse too uh, where my, my wife's mother lives, Hancock County, Kentucky. They just voted that county wet. And I, uh, oh, I hated to see that. I hate it. You know, at one time, Kentucky, I'm going by the statistic of another preacher, but he said at one time, Kentucky had 90 counties that were dry. Think about that. 90 counties where you could not sell a drop of alcohol legally. But today, they've dwindled away. I think there's very few that, that are dry counties now in, in Kentucky. And... I, but I, I remember I helped fight that battle, you know, trying to put article in the paper and, and uh, sent out some things to preachers, you know. And, but boy, the other side, they won by a landslide to get, to get alcohol in that county. And I counted one time just uh, uh, in the paper there, they had Baptist churches listed. And I, if I'm not mistaken, there were 17 Baptist churches in that county. And I'm telling you what, in my opinion, they dropped the ball. They dropped the ball big time. Every one of them should, two or three may have had an article in the paper. Every 
every one of them should have come out and stormed out against that. Well, that's not my message either, but uh, if you look at chapter 3, chapter number 3, I was reading this this morning, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigayanoth, and I think that's a musical instrument there. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. That's a good prayer to pray for America tonight. That's a good prayer to pray for our country. I think God is pleased when we, when we pray Bible prayers back to Him. I don't think God minds at all if we remind Him of His promises. If we remind Him, Lord, this is what you said in your word. I think God likes that. For one thing, God knows that we're looking at His Word. We know His Word. Another thing is that we expect God to fulfill His promise, and He always does. And so I believe it's good to pray prayers like this. Lord, revive Thy work in the midst of the years. And you know another good prayer I've found uh, over in the book of Psalms, I've been praying for America, especially for the leadership that we have in America right now, leading us in exactly the wrong way, down the wrong path, away from God, away from the Word of God. Here's a good prayer. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. I, I pray that to God. Don't ever underestimate your prayers, my friend. Don't ever underestimate that. I mean, just you alone in a prayer closet somewhere. It might be a bedroom. It might be out in the woods. It might be a bathroom. I've prayed a many a prayer in a bathroom because we stay in hotels. Hotels only have two rooms, a bedroom and the bathroom. So the bathroom becomes my prayer room and my study uh, sometimes. And uh, I've prayed a many a prayer in there. Had some good prayer meetings in a bathroom. But wherever your prayer room is, you might have a little room just for prayer. But don't ever underestimate going in there and, and calling out to the Lord. God hears that prayer. And the God's interested in your prayers. And God will answer our prayers. He doesn't always answer exactly on our timetable. He does not always answer exactly uh, the way we ask Him to do it. He may have a better plan in mind. But my friend, God answers prayer. And, and we need to keep on praying. God's even interested in those who just go and, and just sigh and cry over the wickedness of their nation. If we just sigh to God and cry, God said, I'll put a mark on that person. I'll protect them when the judgment comes. You can check that out in Ezekiel. And God's, God's interested in even the tears that fall from our face. Well, here's what I want to preach on tonight. Not that verse. But right near the end of this chapter 3, this caught my eye today. Habakkuk says in verse number 17, and you know the book is about judgment. He said God's judgment is coming. It's going to be terrible. But he says in verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flocks shall... Oh, I'm having trouble seeing this tonight. I, I need a new Bible. This, 
my, the print is shrinking in my Bible. I don't know what it got wet or what. Cut, cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now look, that's a pretty bleak picture. That is a bleak picture. No, no, flo no flocks in the field and in the pasture. No, uh, no corn and and food in the fields and no olives and no no figs and on the vine. That that is so. That's it's a picture of of a drought. It's a picture of a famine. And he said, "This is coming because of our sins." But look at verse number eighteen. He says, "Yet." I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Wow, that's powerful. For a man to just describe such a dreadful picture that was coming upon his nation, but he said, no matter what happens, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And I'm going to praise Him. Though everything falls apart around me, though everything may be going down the drain, I'll keep, I'll keep my joy. I'm not going to lose my joy in the Lord. And I just wanted to introduce uh, the message tonight uh, as we're going to continue the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Number two, joy. Joy is, is the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Lord, we've already had some preaching from the pastor. And Lord, I've already brought up a couple of messages, little mini messages tonight. But Lord, my main message tonight is the joy of the Lord. And I pray you'd help me. I pray you'd help these dear people to receive what you have for them. I pray, dear God, that they would uh, not let their mind be distracted. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would absorb like a sponge the Word of God tonight and the admonition from the, the preacher tonight. I pray it would not be forgotten. Lord, I see in our country today, in our churches today, I see a famine of the joy of the Lord. I don't see a lot of joy, true joy, in the people of God. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us in that. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of this earth. No matter what's happening around us, we should have an overwhelming, overflowing joy. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to see that. And Lord, help us to die to self so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit can produce that joy in us. Help me as I preach, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start tonight with an illustration in my life. I told you about how I got saved on Wednesday night, and I was gloriously saved. I was wonderfully saved. I'm telling you, I walked out of the church that night. I think I was, I was in southern Indiana. I, I, I had to be the happiest teenager in Indiana walking out of that church that night. I felt like when I went in, I had a backpack with a big concrete block uh, on my back, just weighed down with sin. And I felt like that night that was just taken off of me. And I, I just felt so light. I mean, I just felt free. I felt clean. I felt like one, one boy, a little boy got saved and he said, I feel like Jesus scrubbed me on the inside. And I, I felt that way. I just felt so clean. Went home and just slept 
such a good sleep. I was so happy. The next day was Sunday. And I mean, I came back to the house of the Lord. And when I walked in, somebody said, you don't have to tell us what happened. We can see it. They could see the joy of the Lord on my face. And I don't know how long, you know, I stayed in that state of, uh, of that joy and that joy of salvation. But that was in July. And back in those days, the old public school started up in September. And I was going back to the public school. My mom and dad never heard of a Christian school. I don't think any of our church people did. And everybody just went to the public school. And so I went back to that old, it's a lion's den for a child of God to try to live for the Lord in a public school. But I went back in, in September, and you know, nobody really prepared me for what I would face. I can't blame anybody, but nobody prepared me to go back there and, and take a stand for the Lord. And so I went back, and I don't know how long it took, but after a while, I began to slide, and I became a backslider. I, I lost that glow on my face, and I, I lost uh, that joy. And, you know, I was doing enough. Thank God I'd never, I didn't drink. I didn't take drugs. I wasn't a whoremonger like some of them were. They'd come back after the weekend and talk about it. And there were things that I did not do. But Brother Bob, I began to use their language so I could blend in with them. I began to tell their jokes and laugh at their jokes. I began to, uh, speech that came out of my mouth was unclean, ungodly. I had things going on in my mind that were dirty. And, I, I, you know, I never stopped going to church. Thank God. I, I would go back. I'd go to church. At least on Sunday morning I'd go. And, uh, and I would also read my Bible. The night I got saved, I started reading the Bible. Now, somebody should have taken me and said, All right, start in the book of John. Read John. Then read it again. I just went back and started in Genesis. <laughs> and... Uh, Boy, some of that Old Testament you have to wade through as a brand new Christian. You don't understand it. And, but I, I would read a chapter every night in the Bible. You know, that kept me from being destroyed. That kept me from my whole life being destroyed in that atmosphere. And, uh, I, but I went through my high school days. I, I, I even sang in a little gospel group. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I'd sing... The lighthouse on Sunday and maybe go back and tell a dirty joke on Monday. Now, isn't that a disgrace? That's a disgrace. But a lot of people are in that condition. A lot of people live that double life. And, you know, they keep it hid from everybody. But that was me. So I went through my high school days, and I went to a little college, a Kentucky Wesleyan College, simply because it was close to my house, 30 miles away, and I... I didn't know what else to do with my life, so I, I was backslid. I didn't really have a great desire to serve the Lord, so I went to that college. And there at that college, you know, I got in with the wrong crowd. I still didn't drink, didn't take drugs. But this thing, now, it was named after John Wesley, a Wesleyan college, Methodist-oriented college. And I remember standing in the dormitory, I said, what's that smell? Somebody looked at me like I was crazy. He said, grass, man, that's grass. Marijuana. 
floating through the hallways of that dormitory of that Wesleyan college. I didn't even know what it was. But I blended in enough with that crowd. I spoke their language that I, I, you know, they befriended me and I befriended them. And I don't know how long that went on. But I know this. I had people praying for me. I know my dear old mom was praying for me. And she knew how to pray. And I know my pastor and his wife, they were praying for me. And there were others I know they prayed for me. And one night, <laughs> one night I'll never forget I was sitting in a dormitory room and there were several guys in that room and we were talking probably about things we shouldn't talk about. But we're in that room and somebody, I don't know who and I don't know why, brought up the subject of being a Christian. Well, I'm sitting there, I, I knew I was saved. I knew that. And I, I just said, well, I'm a Christian. And this guy from New Jersey, I'll never forget him. This guy from New Jersey looked at me. You're a Christian. He said, I can't tell any difference in your life and my life. You talk about blowing somebody away. And I, I just sat there and it, it's almost spooky. It just felt to me like some kind of a big clear a cylinder or something came down over me and everybody else was just out of the picture. And it was just God and me. And God, I, the Lord was looking right at me. I must, I, I'm sure I felt kind of like Peter did after he denied the Lord and the Lord turned and looked at him. And I, I mean, I don't know. I just got up and I walked out of that room. Didn't say a word. I just walked out of that room. I walked down the hallway and I found an empty dormitory room. And I went in that room and I got down in the darkness beside a bed in that room. Nobody, nobody lived there. And I, I just poured my heart out to God. I said, Lord, I'm tired of living like this. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Lord, I want to give you my life. I want you to have my life. And I don't know how long I was in there. But I tell you, I felt the peace of God come back and, and the joy of the Lord come back into my life. And I opened the door to walk out into the hallway. And guess who was standing there? My friend, Jeremy Farmer, the guy that wrote that song I sang last night. But you know what? He had gotten in the same shape I was in. He had gotten in that same backslid condition. And, but he said, when I walked out of that room, he, he told me later, he said, your face had a glow on it. Your face was shining. He told me that. Now, I'm not claiming to be Moses coming down off the mountain with a shining face, had to put a veil over his face. I'm not claiming that tonight. I didn't say it. He said it. And I doubt very seriously if a real light was coming out of my face, but I'll tell you what I believe it was. I had the joy back. The joy came back. Amen. You know, David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David didn't lose his salvation, but he lost the joy of his salvation and he prayed oh that prayer in Psalm 51 cleanse me O God wash me and I shall be whiter than snow create in me a clean heart renew a right spirit within me O God cleanse me cleanse me and then he said restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and I believe God delights in doing that and I wonder tonight do you still have the joy of your salvation do you have the joy that you had when the Lord saved you? 
You know, the truth of the matter is we ought to have more joy. We ought to have more joy than we had then. We've grown in the Lord. We've learned about God. We should be filled with the Spirit of God where that joy is flowing out of us. And oh, how we need that joy. The joy of the Lord. Turn with me to John 15, if you will. The Lord wants us to have it. That's for sure. John chapter number 15 and verse number 11. Now, in John 15, that's where Jesus said, Abide in me. And if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And he talks a lot about love, love one another. But also in this great chapter, in this message of John 15, verse number 11, he talks about joy. And he says in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Amen. He said, I want your joy to be full. He said, I don't want you to have just a little bit of joy. I want you to have full joy. I want you to be full of joy. That's the desire of Jesus Christ. That's what He wants for us. And we shouldn't settle for less. We shouldn't settle for less. One time I preached, it was last, this, uh, yeah, it was earlier this year. I was in Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo, North Dakota. And I was there in February. It gets, it gets down to 40 below, and that's not wind chill. That's actual temperature. They said you can take a glass of water on one of those nights, throw it up in the air, and it turns to ice before it hits the ground. The wind blows 30 and 40 miles an hour. And you, they get a little bit of snow. It doesn't fall like this. It falls like this. And so you got whiteout everywhere. We went through some whiteouts <laughs> to get there and, and leaving there. Fargo in February. And you know, I thought these poor people up here in this frigid place, they... They need the joy of the Lord. I'd re I really felt impressed to preach on the joy of the Lord there in Fargo. And the first night I was there, I preached a message, and it, it had the longest title of any message I've ever preached. This message has not been put on a CD because it will not hold the title. No, here's what I, here's what I got up. I said, here's my message tonight. Can a Christian have the joy of the Lord in February in Fargo, North Dakota. That was my message. And then I said, I don't know. <laughs> but then I, I said, no, I, I'm kidding there. You can, you can have the joy of the Lord uh, in Fargo. God wants us to have joy. God mentions joy almost 500 times, joy or rejoicing uh, almost 500 times in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. And the Bible says He wants us to be full of joy. And I said to those people that night, you can have it in Fargo, North Dakota, because it does not depend on geography. Amen. No matter where you are, you can have the joy of the Lord. Amen. Wherever you are. And you know, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is the one that wrote that. He, he, he wrote down, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he was in a prison cell when he wrote it. He was in a prison I don't even know if you'd call it a cell, probably more like a dungeon. 
where he was in prison there. Not like our prisons today. Color TV, three meals a day, air conditioning. Oh, no, no. This was a dungeon where, where rats crawl around and roaches crawl around and it's damp and dark and they may slide you one plate of food of some old disgusting food. And Paul was in that place, that dear man of God. He's in there for the testimony of Jesus just because he loved God and, and spread the gospel. He's in that place. But what does he do? He writes the Philippians. And if you, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, the letter, it's full of joy. All through there it, it mentions joy. And that's when he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. does not depend on geography. It does not depend on circumstances. <laughs> to have the joy of the Lord. You'll find also in the book of Acts where the disciples, they threatened them and they said, Don't speak anymore in this name. Don't you talk anymore about Jesus here in Jerusalem and try to bring this man's blood upon us. Boy, they just went right out and kept on preaching. Peter said, is it better to obey you or to obey God? We cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Oh, may God give us some boldness like that in these last days in our, in our nation. We need boldness like that. And uh, boy, they, they hauled him in again. And this time they beat him. They beat them. And you know, the Bible says in Acts 5, 41, they departed from the council with their bleeding backs, rejoicing, rejoicing, the Bible says, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They go out of there rejoicing with bloody backs, my friend. It does not depend on circumstances. I told you about Richard Wormbrand last night in a Romanian communist prison for, I don't 14 years. He did get out for a while, and then he went right back. He would not stop witnessing. He would not stop preaching. Went right back into the prison. Oh, horrible thing, unspeakable things they did to those prisoners. They would beat them. But those prisoners, they would just keep on preaching to one another, and the guards would come in and forbid them to preach. And one of them said, we'll make a deal with you. We'll preach and you beat. And they would. They'd be in there preaching, talking about the Lord. Some guard would come in and drag them out of that cell, take them down somewhere and beat them. But you know what Richard Wormbrand said? He said when they would beat, beat us for preaching the Word of God and witnessing for Jesus, he said the pain would seem far away. And he said, sometimes those old black walls, those old dark gray walls, would shine like diamonds as they were being beaten. You know what? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. You say, I never have had grace like that. You've never needed it. You know, grace is something God gives it when it's needed. None of us tonight have dying grace. But when it comes time to die, you'll have dying grace if you're a child of God. Amen. <laughs> It does not depend on circumstances. It does not depend on finances. You can be so poor that you open up your billfold and a moth flies out. No money. Nothing. I've met some very poor people live in little trailers. Oh, little trailers. They're dirty looking and just in a bad neighborhood maybe. But I've seen smiling faces in there. I've seen people that are dirt poor, but they, 
they had the Lord. The Lord was about all they had. But I like that song that says, when you come to the place where he's all you, where he's all you have, then you'll find he's all you need. Amen. And I've seen poor people with a big smile, and I've seen rich people who are miserable, and you have too. You know, a lot of times rich people and successful people and famous people, you know how their life ends? In suicide. They reach the top. There's nowhere else to go. And life has no meaning. They take their own lives. They don't have any joy. But thank God it does not depend on finances. I will ask you to turn to this, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Here's a wonderful verse. Here's a wonderful example in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I don't know if you folks are getting tired or what, but my amens are, have just about bit the dust. And uh, let's just have a little amen uh, revival here, all right? I'm going to make a statement, and I want to hear some amens, all right? Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. It may be tonight. Amen. All right, now keep it up, keep it up, all right? I like amens, I really do. But look at this, 2 Corinthians. You say, where is that? It's right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Great, great verse here. Talking about giving. This whole chapter is about giving, the grace of giving. And he says uh, in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. That just means we, we want you to notice of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, he's writing to the Corinthian people, but he's saying, I want you to look at these, these believers in Macedonia, how they give, how that in verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. There we find in that one verse, we find affliction, and we find poverty. But what do you find right, in the, right between affliction and poverty? Joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord that does not depend on a lot of money. It does not depend on uh, just having total freedom. They didn't have it. They were persecuted. They were in tribulation. But oh, they had joy. And they wanted to give and he said, you know, they didn't just give their money. They gave themselves. They gave themselves to the work of God. And, oh, God's reward for that is the joy of the Lord. There's nothing like it. This world tries to, they're, they're going after happiness. They're seeking for happiness. And, but, my friend, we've got joy. We've got lasting joy. We've got joy like a river. We've got joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Or at least we should have. We should have. And if we don't have it, there's nobody to blame but us. <laughs> you know what? This joy of the Lord does not depend on health. It does not depend on good health. I've seen people in sick beds. I've seen a lot of people in wheelchairs in very bad shape with a great big smile. Matter of fact, tonight, the man that I've seen rejoicing more than anybody in this building really tonight is sitting in a wheelchair back there. The man waving his hand, praising God. I've seen that again and again. And there's a man I'll never forget. Honey, you want to turn the camera on? <laughs> I, she did. The, I told this the other day at a church, and, and she, uh, 
she took a, a little video with her phone. She's not supposed to be doing that. But she took a little video with her phone of me telling this story, and she sent it to this man who's in heaven now, his mother in Dothan, Alabama. And I, uh, I remember John Ashford. And I'll never forget John Ashford. He's in heaven now. And probably, I don't know how long he's been there, but he's probably still running, just running all over heaven. Because when I met John Ashford, he's in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy. Is that what it was? Or muscular dystrophy? Cerebral palsy. Anyway, he had a bright mind, but his muscles would not obey his mind. His muscles would not do what the brain would tell it to do. That's what it is. And so he's in this wheelchair, and his arms turn like this. He, if you try to shake his hand, and I did, and he'd reach out that arm like that and try to shake your hand. And his feet turned over like this. He had to have special shoes for his feet. And he, his speech, I couldn't understand him. But his mother could understand everything. And if she was there, by, there close by to be an interpreter, she could tell you what John was saying. But there was one word that John Ashford would say, I, I could understand what it was. I would be up preaching, or our family would be up singing, and I'd look back there, and John was sitting in his wheelchair. Back, he always sat in the back. And I'd look back, and John would have that hand up like this. And I could hear this, Aaron, Aaron. I could understand that. Look back there and saw the joy of the Lord on that man that had every reason in the world to be depressed, every reason in the world to, to be down and discouraged. But there he is, praising God, always had a smile on his face. You know one of the biggest smiles I ever saw? One day I said to John, we were there in a revival meeting. I said, John, you want to go out and uh, go out soul winning with us? Go out and knock on some doors? He lit up. His eyes got wide, big old smile. Yes, he wanted to go. Truth of the matter is, he couldn't knock on a door. He couldn't talk to anybody. But I would wheel him up to the, to the door, and then I'd knock on the door, and somebody would come and, They'd, see, they'd look at me, and then they'd look at him, and I'd say, this is John. And John wants to invite you to the revival that we're having. And then I would witness to the person, and he would just sit there, nod his head, you know, with his great big eyes and big smile. And I'm thinking to the, this person here who probably doesn't go to church anywhere and has no desire to serve God, can't you see something here? Can't you see Look at you in a, in a great body there. You've got all the, your muscles work right. Your arms and legs work right. You can say anything you want to say, and you're not serving God. But here's a young man that wants to serve God. I don't know if anybody got the message or not, but he went out. My wife and I were just in a church not long ago in Missouri, up in Cahoka, Cahoka, Missouri, with a, a pastor named Glenn Yoder. Did you ever hear of Glenn Yoder? He, he came out of the Amish. He saw the truth and came out of the Amish, got saved, and he, but he had polio. And this man, he's about this tall, and I'm telling you, his arms are about that big around. And he, he's got one shoe that's built up about like that, 
And it's all he can do to walk. And when, when you go to shake his hand, polio, you know, polio just uh, attacks the muscles of the body. And to shake his hand, sometimes he has to do this. Get his hand up to shake your hand. But I'm telling you, Glenn Yoder has always got a smile. He's always got a good word. He's always up. You know why? He's got the joy of the Lord. Amen. It does not depend on geography or circumstances or finances or health. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It says it over and over. It talks about in Proverbs, A merry heart. We need a merry heart. It does good like a medicine. Merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. That'll put that, uh, that glow back on your face there. A merry heart. You know, it's also a powerful witness <laughs> to this old world. When this world sees somebody with the joy of the Lord, it makes a difference. It does. The Bible says we're the light of the world. We're the only light this old world's got. Powerful witness. The queen of Sheba came to see Solomon. She, she, she came as a skeptic. She said she didn't believe it. She didn't believe the magnificence of the temple. She didn't believe the, that Solomon was as wise as everybody said he was. But she came as a skeptic and she left as a believer. She saw the glory of the kingdom. She heard the wisdom of Solomon. But my friend, in that little story over in 1 Kings, you'll find this. Here's something else she saw. She said to Solomon, she said, Happy are thy men. I've noticed your servant, Solomon. They're happy. And she probably thought, my servants are not happy. My servants just do what they have to do because they have to do it. But his servants are happy. They've got something. These people have got something. You know what? She blessed the God of heaven before she left. Who knows? She may have become a believer. She saw something. It's a great witness. I love this story. <laughs> I love this story. My wife could get up and tell it for me, but I, I'm going to tell it tonight. Many, many years ago in Montana, there was a, you know, back in the gold rush days, there was a mining company. And they, uh, these men went out with the Anaconda Mining Company. And I looked at a map one time in Montana and I saw a town there named Anaconda. These men went out and uh, trying to strike gold. And you know what? They, they didn't find gold. They found Indians. <laughs> and they were not friendly Indians. They said, go back where you came from. Roughed them up some. Put the fear of God in them. <laughs> Sent them back where they came from. So they're heading back to their town. And they came across a stream. They'd already crossed it. Now they're at it again. They're going to camp there for the night. One of them said, well, I'm, I'm going down here and pan a little bit for some gold. And sure enough, he came back and said, look, he found a gold nugget. Some others went down. They began to pan. They found gold. Before long, they realized there's gold right here. We have struck gold. They looked at one another. We're rich. We're rich. We've got gold right here. But they, they said, we've got to go back to town now and get our supplies. I guess they'd been <laughs> taken in the Indian raid. But he said, we've got to go back and get our supplies but listen, we'll make a, a pact among us. Nobody will say a word about this. Or they'll come out and jump our claim. 
So they went back into the town. Nobody said a word. They bought their supplies. They got ready to go. They started out of town. They heard a great noise behind them. And they looked around. They saw 300 people following them. 300 people following them. And I'm sure they looked at one another and said, Who told? Who told? Who told? Nobody told. But this came out in a paper, not, not a religious paper, a secular newspaper. Here was the headline. Their beaming faces betrayed the secret. Oh, my. Their beaming faces. Where are the beaming faces today? Don't we have something better than gold? We're going to walk on gold someday. Where are the beaming faces? I'll tell you. I believe A.W. Tozer hit the nail on the head many years ago. Entertainment has become the substitute for the joy of the Lord. I don't know if it's true in this congregation or not, but I wouldn't doubt it. That there are people in this congregation you get more excited about a ball game than you do about church and the work of God. That, that, that's very likely that that's true of some in this place tonight. And I, I don't have time to <laughs> preach on all the things that, that people get so wrapped up in, but, but entertainment, entertainment has become the substitute for the joy of the Lord. And you know, there's no substitute for joy in our homes. We had a, an evangelist come to our church one time. It was before I, I went there and joined back in 2000 in Iowa. But my pastor at that time, Larry Brown, said that this evangelist came and he called his name from the pulpit. I, I wouldn't do that, but if I called his name, some of you might know him. He said this evangelist came and he said, My mother almost sent me to hell. What a statement. My mother almost sent me to hell. He said, Oh, she was a Christian. And she loved the Lord. But she was a downer. She was depressed. No joy. And he said, as a boy, I looked at that and I thought, I don't want that. I don't want that. Thank God he did get saved and God made him a great preacher. But what a statement. You know, I read, I read today about a, a joyful mother of children in the book of Psalms. A joyful mother of children. And you know, we got a lot of grandparents here tonight. And I am one of those myself. I got 13. And 14's on the way. But you know what? Our grandchildren, they need to see something in grandma and grandpa or mamma and papa or nana and papa, whoever you might be. <laughs> Our grandchildren need to see the joy of the Lord in us. Amen. We need it. Brother Brown got up one night and he preached on, he's been preaching on the home and he he said, uh, tonight I'm preaching on the most fundamental truth about the home. He said, tonight I'm preaching about the most important thing. He said, this is more important than doctrine. He said, this is more important than standards. This is more important than discipline. 
Well, by this time, I'm leaning forward in my seat. What in the world could it be that's more important than discipline, than doctrine, than standards in our home? What could be more important than that? And old Brother Brown, he leaned over the pulpit and he said, you better get happy. You better get happy. Because he said, if your kids don't see happiness in you, they don't care about your standards. They don't care about your doctrine. If they don't want a home like yours someday to be a, their home to be like your home someday, they, it doesn't matter. He said, you better get the joy of the Lord in your home. Brother, we need it. Amen. Praise God. If you'll give me about three minutes, I want to I just throw out sources of the joy of the Lord. Sources. One man called it the joy pump. He's got a message called the joy pumps. <laughs> you can pull in and say, fill her up. I'll tell you, number one, of course, the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. But two things can happen to the Spirit of God. You can grieve the Spirit of God. And I'm, just, I'm not going to preach on it. I just want to list some of the things that grieve the Spirit of God. And they're found in Ephesians 4, deceitful lusts. Deceit, this is the day of lust. This is the day lust is overcoming so many. I mean, it's overpowering men and women. The Internet is a weapon of mass destruction for the devil when it comes to lust. Lying grieves the Spirit of God. Any kind of dishonesty, any kind of dishonesty, that thing you call a little white lie, well, that's, it's not a little white lie. It's, it's lying and it grieves the Spirit. Anger, anger, wrath giving place to the devil. I think a lot of people do that in their music. A lot of people give place to the devil in their music. They're still listening to the world's music, old rock and roll music. My friend, even country music today is, is of the devil. I know some of you listen to it, but you shouldn't. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it was in the days of Porter Wagner, let me tell you. Today, it's a music of lust. It's a music of alcohol. My wife looked up the top ten country songs, just the title. There was alcohol in the title of four of those songs. Country music. God's people have no business listening to that. Listen to music that exalts the Lord, makes you want to serve God and praise the Lord. Give no place to the devil. Stealing. <laughs> Stealing. Corrupt communication. And that's not just cussing. That's when you rave. That's when you lose your temper. That's when you say things you shouldn't say. Maybe to your own family. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. All these things grieve the Spirit and a whole lot more. And the Bible says don't grieve the Spirit of God. When you do that, He cannot operate. He cannot produce that fruit in your life. And don't quench the Spirit of God. That means to stop Him from doing what He's trying to lead you to do. Just to resist Him and quench His influence in your life. Just like you would pour water on a fire and put it out. You quench the Spirit of God. Don't do that. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And then there's the Word of God. Praise God. There's joy in the Word of God. I just want to ask you, how much did you read the Bible today? Now listen, it's not time to pray. How much did you read the Bible today? Just asking. How much did you read the Bible yesterday? 
If you take your Bible reading compared to your social media time, your Facebook time, your computer time, your television time, your ball game time, if you take your Bible reading, put it up against that, how does it look? My friend, no wonder, no wonder we're in the shape we're in. No wonder I look around in our Baptist churches, I see people, they look like they're sitting at a funeral home instead of in the house of God. The Word of God, Jesus said, These words have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. 1 John 1, 4 reminds us of that. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. The Word of God gives us joy. This is a joy pump right here. And then I could go on prayer, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Some of you say, I can't imagine praying for an hour. What would I say in an hour? <laughs> I'll tell you, you know why you don't pray an hour? You don't enjoy prayer. You don't enjoy it. You, you, you know you got to. You know you better. You know you'll backslide if you don't pray, but you don't really enjoy your prayer time. It's not sweet hour of prayer or even sweet 20 minutes of prayer. But here's the key, my friend. I'll just give you this key. Start the prayer off with praise. Start your prayer off with thanksgiving. Psalm 22 says he inhabits the praise of his children. I mean, you start, you start off by thanking God, praising the Lord. Just think of all the things you can thank him for. Think of all the times he's been good to you and just praise him. Tell him how wonderful that he is and just name over some of his great attributes. And just praise God. And my friend, before you know it, the presence of the Lord will be in that prayer room. The prayer, presence of the Lord will be with you. And when that happens, my friend, you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave that place. You have to go, but the presence of God is there. Oh, there are others I could preach on for a long time, but I want you to come back tomorrow night. I don't want you to leave and say, no use going back tomorrow night. He told us everything he knew tonight. So I, I want to close. Let's bow our heads tonight. I think I've said enough anyway. I think sometimes preachers say too much. I really do. I think sometimes after preach, a preacher's driven home, he's point, he keeps on preaching, and uh, maybe he misses that window of opportunity when God really wants to move in the altar call. I'm no expert on it, that's for sure, but I feel like I've preached enough, and I'd just like for you to bow your heads and and close your eyes tonight and I'd like to ask this question I don't think I've asked it so far but how many tonight could say tonight brother Steve there is not one shred of a doubt in my mind I am 100% sure that if I died tonight I would go to heaven would you raise your hand as a testimony of that I'm 100% sure that heaven is my home you may put your hand down now, I didn't look at every hand. I don't know if everybody raised their hand, but I do want to ask this. Is there anybody tonight that would say, Brother Epley, I, I'm not sure. I just got to be honest. I'm not sure that if I died tonight that, that heaven would be my home. But I'd like to be sure. I sure don't want to go to hell. Would you just raise your hand and put it back down? I'll pray for you. That's all I'll do. I won't come to you. God bless you. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Just say, pray for me. And I will pray for you. Oh, my. Anybody else? We've had one hand raised. Anybody else? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand for this, but 
if I said tonight, how many of you really have? Don't raise your hand. Understand me. Don't raise your hand. Don't want you to be a Pharisee. Or I'm not asking you for that. I'm not asking you to brag on yourself. But if I asked you tonight, how many of you have fullness of joy? You've got that joy unspeakable and full of glory down in your soul. Could you raise your hand and say, Brother Effley, I've got that. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I know it. And I'm thankful. And I don't want any hands raised. I just want you to face reality. If you don't have it, my friend, it'd be a mighty good idea to come to this altar tonight and kneel down here and say, Lord, I believe every word that preacher said. I believe there's a joy like that. There's a supernatural joy. I want it. Oh, Lord, I want it. And I want you to search me, whatever it is that may be blocking that in my life, keeping me from having that joy. I, I, want, I want to know about it, dear Lord. Please, I want that joy. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I want that love, that supernatural love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. I want that flowing out of my life. Well, let's stand tonight. If you raised your hand, I will pray for you. And I, I encourage you to come. The pastor will be down here at the front, and you could, you could just tell him, I came to be saved. And Father, I do pray for this one who raised a hand that this precious soul would get the assurance of salvation, be saved, and know it before this night is over, Lord. And I pray for others, Lord. Thank God for many who raised their hand, sure of salvation. That's the, that's the greatest thing on earth. But dear Lord, after we're saved, then the greatest thing is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, led by the Spirit, dead to self, used of God. Lord, that's what we need. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you just help God's people to be honest. Lord, some may not need to come to this altar at all, and others may need to come, but just help folks to be honest in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.